0: Favorite conversation. We invite you in. I'm Bo. I'm Jody. And we wanted to sit down and discuss a few things. Uh, As always with our favorite conversation, it is our favorite because it just leaves us feeling amazing, Mm -hmm. and that's really the intention in coming into this conversation and you know breaking a few things down. Today we're going to be talking about how to heal. Shame, how to deal with shame, mm. how to recognize shame uh, yeah all the different ways that it may show up we may share some of our own experience about it mm-hmm. what we have come to understand about shame for ourselves in our own mm-hmm. process our own journeys, maybe even some things that we're struggling through right now or working through right now and what we do about it, what we've seen other people do to solve, the conflict that shame creates, and also how to find a sense of liberation
1: mm-hmm.
0: from the bondage that shame can really bring to us and our identity, our lives.
2: Yeah, I really, I, um, I think we intended to call this like the enslaver called shame or something like that Uh because of the way that shame really does bind us up. It imprisons us. Uh And this is coming off of uh, some realization, some conversation that we had just a few days ago. Um, And if you heard our first episode, then this is really coming on the heels of a lot of awareness and understanding through that conversation. And so... I think for me um, something that Beau and I regularly consider are places where like built-in limitation is coming up in us in our life hmm. like these places of like a cap a ceiling in us glass
0: ceiling sometimes mm. too yeah
2: <laughs> yeah and of course when we get to work with people one on one this is something that we talk about this is something that we examine and help other people become familiar with for the purpose of really just identifying like patternistic behavior. It's always going to, you know, circle around some kind of limitation that's really just hardwired in. Mm -hmm. And, um, for me, I think that day I was realizing in myself just choices I had made and some decisions and, and kind of the way my life has just kind of wound down a path of, um. not total isolation I wouldn't say isolation because it's really interesting that I do love to create community and um, I have done that in my work for years um, I've always worked in an environment where it was like team building I love to collaborate and those things and yet there's still this thing in me that will often um, isolate <clears throat> and you know, pull myself away from other people, especially if I feel like I have, you know, a challenge or there's something that I'm dealing with or something that I'm going through um, because of a lot of what we shared in the first episode. And so I had to kind of like dig into that a little bit more and get some clarity around it. And I really had to face the fact that there was so much that I was working to remedy by myself, Because I didn't want to be a burden to other people, you know. I just didn't want to burden anyone else with what I had going on. And feeling like, well, other people have so much going on in their life. Like, I don't want to bring my stuff to their space. And of course, hey, there's been times when I've totally just unloaded in a space. Because I was like, I just can't carry this anymore. It's too much. But, you know, I do work at being really aware Before I just unload something. Mm
1: -hmm. Like
2: is this the right space? Is this the right person? You know. Is it safe to do that here? I give a lot of consideration. Um, So I try not to be too shut down about it. But I notice that definitely there is an enormous feeling of trying to eliminate that burden for other people. Like my life. And my issues. My stuff. Not bleeding out onto other people or, you know, whatever, yeah. making a mess. Right. And, um, <clears throat> I was realizing how much shame I had around feeling like a burden. So it was just, it wasn't even like, oh, I feel like a burden and I don't want to be a burden. It was like the shame connected to feeling like a burden. And that was really, um, more of a new connection that I made. Cause I don't think I've ever really associated shame with it. I just knew I don't want to be a burden. I just I don't want to impose on people, but I didn't really consider that the reason that I was making some of the choices I was making was because of the shame I carried for feeling like a burden or believing mm-hmm. that what I had going on was burdensome.
0: Right. Yeah, the the initial understanding that I started to get around my own shame Came from a video that I saw. Yeah. In early recovery. Yeah, I love
2: that video.
0: Yeah, and if if you want to identify how shame may show up in your (laughs) life, I really recommend a. uh, I almost said webinar, but no, it's like Mm a it's an old seminar Mm -hmm. sort of video. Mm -hmm. It's by a guy named John Bradshaw, who actually, in a big way, helped pioneer inner child work Mm -hmm. but he really really dug into family dynamics and healing shame and family dynamics he's been very inspirational for me and then also sharing that with Jody we've been able to really clear a lot for ourselves so the video is called healing the shame that binds you by John Bradshaw. It's an older video.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Got some funny stuff in there. But it's also got some real, real talk. And that's that's our favorite conversation right there. Right. <laughs> so The
1: real
2: talk is our favorite conversation for sure. Yeah.
0: I will say, in getting prepared to start identifying your own shame, posture yourself in the most lighthearted position that you can. You know, the, mar- the most... Heart-open space that you can and it really is a gift and a blessing uh, if you can approach this Self-search you know this introspective process from that point, but you know like for myself and for honestly most people that I've seen um, Shame is something that We're almost forced to deal with because of the havoc it's wreaking on our lives Mm -hmm. So, our relationships, our relationships with other people, with ourselves, with God, our finances, our progress, personal progress in mm-hmm. every single way. You know, family and friends is social engagement. Yeah. You know, shame really hits home because. Oh, man, so you, big. You mentioned shutdown, and that is a big part of mm-hmm. how to identify shame. So I not only reco- recommend recommend that video healing the shame that binds you <laughs> but you know <clears throat> I also have an extensive experience with my own shame so shame is really an emotion mm-hmm. and what happens whenever it becomes toxic most of the shame that people are dealing with is toxic shame mm-hmm. And how it becomes toxic is when it becomes internalized yeah. as an identity. Yeah. And so we've approached our work from a really powerful perspective, mm-hmm. using that as our guide point of seeing how when certain things happen to us in our lives, especially in early childhood development, that's when a lot of the shame is really like imprinted on people. When we have a traumatizing experience in our childhood, what we feel in that moment, most of the time, is one of our core needs going unmet. Mm-hmm. And because that core meet, core need goes unmet, we start to internalize the emotional process of what that means about us—that our meet our needs aren't met. Right. So, for example, if You had siblings growing up or were an only child. If you had siblings, you may have felt overlooked or overshadowed or like you were never good enough or like you had to uh, kind of dull yourself down just so you could let other people also into the spotlight. All of these are shame-based behaviors. Mm -hmm. If you're an only child and you (coughs) isolated yourself as you grew up because you felt like, um, well, I don't really know as much for an only child because I, I had siblings. So that was really more my experience and I feel like I have more of an understanding of having siblings. But my point is is that shame can show up not only in shutdown, isolation, depression, feelings of self-sabotage, self-hatred, um, self-loathing, All all those things pretty much fall into the same category. But even excessive achievement, overachievement. You know, John Bradshaw even says like the straight A student or the all Fs student, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: whether you have high success or high failure, Mm -hmm. either can be shame-based in the identity.
2: Exactly. Depending on
0: what's going on.
2: That's what's so wild about it is that you can look at somebody's performance in their life and believe that they may not suffer from this toxic shame because, you know, they're high achievers or whatever. But, um, I think that point was so important to make, especially when I was watching that video. It's like, yeah, it's like, this is just a distorted way of covering the shame. It's like being, you know, this perfect example, this shining light, you know? And I know for me, as I was considering the shame of being a burden, something that I wrote down was, um that i realized that shame around being a burden had pushed me into terrible situations where i was used because i didn't want to be a burden so i would let people use me because to try to soothe the shame right cuz
0: you didn't want to tell them no
2: yeah, well yeah i didn't want to say no or i think just underneath it all was like the shame of the burden of being a burden or believing that i was really what was driving all of that need to like make myself available. Oh, this person needs help. This person needs support. This person needs, 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 whatever. And showing up in those places and really letting myself be used, you know, not having good boundaries, all of that because of the shame. People think it's because, you know, of this distorted thing or that distorted thing. And there's probably many little small things that lead to it, but they're all literally being held. Like the underpinning is shame. Underneath it. And I think that was what was so major to me. I was like, oh, it was it was none of these little tiny things by themselves. It was all of these things collectively. And they were being held up and animated by the shame that I felt underneath it. And I said, you know, the shame pushed me into terrible situations to be used. And it pushed me out of opportunity to be supported. So the mm. shame wouldn't let me be supported.
0: Yeah, push everything away. Yeah. I'm having this thought that it's like the... It's like the detrimental God complex. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Because every time I look at, even how shame shows up for me today, it's always when I'm trying to take something on, that's not my responsibility, and that's not the shame, but that shows up because of the shame I feel. Right. Right? So we kind of trace it back. It's like whenever I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm trying to take on too much Trying to handle situations that are out of my control. Um, or it's time for me to step up, like actually step up in my own life, yeah. and I'm bowing out. I'm holding myself back. I am not letting myself shine. I'm not letting myself speak up. Whenever I have opinions, emotions, thoughts that are valuable mm-hmm. to the circumstance,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, I just suppress myself, like self censorship. So we're looking at um, patterns like self-hatred, self-censorship, self-betrayal. Oh my gosh. It's in every case of addiction that I've seen, including my own, <clears throat> and we talk about this, it is self-betrayal at the core.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Self-betrayal is necessary for a shame-based person.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For somebody who has internalized the feeling of shame as an identity,
1: yeah.
0: I am shame because I am responsible for all of this harm that's been done or wrongdoing or mm-hmm. being in the wrong place at the wrong time as a child. Mm-hmm. Like getting caught and exposed to certain things as a child and having that sense of innocence and purity like pulled away in a moment where someone didn't know how to regulate their freaking emotions, where yep. people didn't know how to... to hold their own, you know, adults that haven't grown into their adulthood, they're still premature in their development, raising children, we are those children, our parents were those children, our parents' parents were those children, Mm -hmm. and so thinking of our experience in our own childhood, shame doesn't just come from the horror story, abuse, that unfortunately many people go through it comes also through subtle covert ways of dysfunctionally engaging and communicating yes in our family dynamics yes so and this is beautiful way what john brad i'm gonna keep going back to this video because just <laughs> it was it's so good it's so yeah, good if you guys go watch it just get ready to confront some things and <laughs> you know he he keeps it light hearted too but it is real talk you know and so um he says in this video that if we want to start healing our shame, families, and families is, is um, emphasized here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm emphasizing it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But families need to be able to have communication and tolerance for people to see what they see and say it, feel what they feel, and say it. Hear what they hear and say it. Think what they think and say it. So the common denominator there is speaking up. Yep. you got to be able to speak up. And in so many healing spaces, uh, if, if one of your friends or family, or family members or, or co-workers or colleagues or somebody that you have never met before and you can tell that they're struggling and somehow you strike up a conversation... One of the very first things that I bet gets said if somebody knows you're going through a hard time or vice versa is, do you want to talk about it or let's talk about it? Is there something you need to say?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Hopefully. Right? Hopefully that's how it goes. Hopefully it's safe enough for you to feel like you can do that. Um, it's amazing how much safety can also be created sometimes with a stranger, sometimes with an, an unexpected like family member or friend. Um, Of course, there's a whole learning process to determining what's safe for you. Because the whole point that your voice was shut down in the first place was because you did one of those things. You saw something. Mm -hmm. You heard something. You experienced something a certain way, and you tried to talk about it. You tried to communicate it in some way. And even if you were too young to speak or not developed to a point, We're constantly communicating, not just with our voice. We are master communicators, even though we don't always communicate masterfully. (laughs) We're experiencing communication both ways, in receiving information and giving it constantly. So even as a child or a person who cannot voice what they're experiencing, we can still receive communication that we're not meant to be here while this is going on. Yeah. So a lot of times, shame is um, hiding. Yeah. You know how you can identify your shame? Sometimes it's difficult if you're not willing to be honest because it's pretty much underlying everything that you're trying to keep secret.
2: This is so big right here because in my realization about shame that day, as I was just like sitting, letting it kind of go through me and and see all the things, I started to realize how many relationships I've lost because of shame. Uh Like, and, and I say lost, I mean, some of them are not fully lost, though I would go back and say, a lot of people have literally gone radio silent in my life over the years, and I can go back and like identify certain things, and I knew when it happened that there was some kind of shame coming up in them. It may not have even had to do with us directly, but something in their life was bringing up shame shame, and they just went like like a ghost. Like they ghosted, you know? And then it, they never came back around. And the only reason that I really know that, of course, is because of the times that I have felt ashamed for different things in my life and been totally radio silent, shut down. Like shame shuts us down. Mm -hmm. It shuts us down in our nervous system. It shuts us down in how we interact. So it's a major isolator. And I can always tell when there are people around me in my life and I don't hear from them or they go silent or whatever. I'm like, oh man, I wonder what's kicked up some kind of shame going on over there. Because I know that's what's really happening Mm -hmm. because it happens to me. And it's like, it, it doesn't even have to do with them The person or whatever, most of the times it's an inner conflict that I'm dealing with. And it may look like, well, this thing or that thing about our relationship. It could look like a number of things, but it's never that thing. It's always the shame underneath it. And so for me, it's like I remembered times when I would get like really shut down in my life. And I would just go quiet on people. You know, I can go back to so many different times. It would happen at work. It would happen, you know, in family dynamics. And i just go quiet. And I was going quiet because of the shame that I felt for whatever was actually happening inside of me. And I was trying to figure out how to deal with it. So it's really major that you're bringing that forward because it is one of those things that literally, I think shame is a major relationship killer.
0: Oh, for sure. You know, when
2: it's not addressed.
0: We know that firsthand. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think most people would know it firsthand. I didn't want to cut you off, you.
2: Yeah, no, that's that was really what I was just coming back to is like, it's such a... It's such a, a breaker of bonds.
0: Yep. It's true. It It's a very strong energy because we are strong. Mm-hmm. And so when we internalize an emotion, mm-hmm. uh, it pretty much becomes all powerful. Mm-hmm. Because like we talked about in the first episode, it's like, and it's a, it's a core, it's a belief that we hold mm-hmm. and operate with is that the power of God is ours.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: As children of God, we have access to that. We are endowed with great power, great responsibility, which is why it's important for us to go through healing. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Not only so we can understand what to do with our power for God, but so that we can grow closer to ourselves and God within us. Mm So. You know, we get really passionate about that. Yeah. <laughs> but my point is is that <clears throat> when there's an emotion that becomes internalized as an identity now, yeah, it takes the place of God within us
2: mm-hmm.
0: and pretty much runs everything.
2: It runs everything. It
0: runs the show, totally. <clears throat> and I think it's interesting how you mentioned how shame shows up for you. Um, shame shows up for me with isolation too, but mine's also a bit of the opposite and we see both ends of the spectrum Mm -hmm. because I'll get busy right I'll get freaking busy and start striking up conversations that don't need to be had I'll start (laughs) talking about topics that are pointless and somewhat irrelevant but it's just because of the shame I get really busy I start kind of seeking outward outwardly Mm. I don't turn to my internal environment I actually run from it it feels like Mm. I feel like I pretty much turn to anything else whenever I start feeling ashamed, and I'm a fixer.
1: Mm. And
0: you know, we've been just going through a real raw process too lately, so it's just seeing a lot of this presently. And I just am a a fixer whenever my shame comes up. I start trying to, well, first of all, I suppress any other emotion that I feel, which is really fear Mm -hmm. or pain. Mm -hmm. You know, shame always grows and develops to protect us from pain Mm. because That is the unsurvivable in a trauma event
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know pain or death Mm -hmm. is That survival energy that gets stuck you can't discharge it and a lot of times as humans we discharge energy with our voice our voices is delicately and intricately interwoven in our expression Um, but if we can't use our voice, we're going to start expressing that pretty much any other way, which is where we get shame-based subconscious behaviors. Mm -hmm. So the acting out, Mm -hmm. the acting out comes from not being able for me, not being able to speak up in a moment because I'm feeling pain and all I need is reassurance that whatever chaos or harm that I'm witnessing or involved in as in my childhood is not because of me. Because, you know, and this is beautiful because early human development, and John Bradshaw talks about this, but that this is a pretty common understanding amongst uh, the psychology of a toddler is there's not much of a separation between a toddler's understanding of themselves, their own needs, and the relationship that they themselves and their needs have to their external reality. Mm-hmm. So that includes people, places, things. Mm-hmm. So whenever we have a caretaker who is unable, incapable, or unaware, unable or incapable of taking care of our needs or unaware of our needs, and so they go unmet, we have this this literal God complex
1: mm-hmm.
0: as children, just by default, <laughs> by beautiful mm-hmm. default. But there's no one there to really teach us how to understand that in a healthy way. And so our relationship with God gets imposed upon by the introduction of shame, unmet needs, and severe, severe pain that is actually quite abusive. Mm -hmm. Um, And that shame grows to protect us from the pain. Enter... uh, alter egos, false identities, Mm -hmm. in in, in inner child work, we always, we always knew, and this is in a group setting, but we always knew like whenever people are having a ton of attitude or they have like snappy sassiness, that it's usually like their teenager aspect of themselves. It's like that teenage time in your life whenever um, you kind of may develop sort of Attitude towards your caregivers, whether Mm -hmm. it's your parents or surrounding authority figures. But that, in my experience, my teenage essence always showed up in full force so it could protect Mm. whatever wound was being pushed on from the childhood. And so, if you think about it in the timeline, enter trauma in childhood, enter shame, internalize that shame. False identity starts to grow a yes. disfigured view of ourselves in the world, yeah. and then teenage years come around. And here now we have almost a full uh, grasp of sorts that we are our own individual.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know that starts even earlier than our teenage years, but it starts to develop more fully in into our adolescence. And so, whatever that false identity was, that was kind of built up to protect the child mm-hmm. in its own consciousness from the threat the abuse and the trauma mm-hmm. that starts to grow more f- in more full force and come out so that false identity starts to get solidified in those teenage years this is definitely true for myself mm-hmm. and mine was you know very to be very outgoing I am kind of social butterfly but in shame I have a really disembodied way of of communicating with my external, reality so i don't know we just we can keep going on and on and on but
2: yeah i think that this conversation is um worthy of an additional conversation and i love that you're bringing up the fact that shame incites this false identity number one identifying falsely with shame there's something that you and i talk about in our teachings and we talk to people about returning to innocence, you know, and how innocence is the antithesis of shame. Mm-hmm. And we find our innocence back in relationship with God, true relationship with God, of course, um, which is something that we get into and we talk about and discuss, unearthing like all the myth and debunking so much um, dogma and religious trauma around oh, that. My. But <clears throat> shame is rooted In, you know, in religion, as far as I'm concerned, it's like it's, it's necessary for it to continue to, um, control, you know, and, and yeah, steer, steer people in a certain direction. Um,
0: I will say before we wrap this up that I want to make a distinction here between shame and guilt Mm -hmm. and something that helped me from the very beginning, understand when shame was showing up and when guilt was showing up was that shame is the idea that what is done or why it was done or what is wrong or broken is who I am. So shame is always linked to who I am. Guilt is more of an externalized, detached form of, oh, what I did. So if something didn't go the way that you thought it was meant to or someone else thought it was meant to, you can feel guilty and understand what I did didn't work. Versus shame that says, I don't work. Yeah. Or what I did hurt someone versus I'm wrong and I hurt people. Right. You know, so it's, yeah. a, it's a deeper level. And so yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways to start undoing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just know that no matter how deep in a shame spiral you are or in your life you feel like you're stuck in, there's hope. For you to get out of it. And you will not be in it forever. It will be healed.
1: Yeah.
2: Totally can be healed. There's a process involved. But shame is something we can overcome
0: and yeah. dissolve. Ho- hopefully this conversation has started to either f- start that process. <laughs> start unearthing some things that you may have been wondering about. Or this has been supportive for you who have been working through your own shame periodically and you may be sitting there nodding your head the whole time so we appreciate you guys and uh, thank you for joining us for our Our favorite favorite conversation. conversation we'll talk to you next time